0: John Allen motherfucking Reese, out of all the people that I could have had as a guest for episode one, I am so glad that it is you. How are you, brother?
1: You know what? All things considered, you're looking at a very happy man. You're looking at a very satisfied man. Life is good. Good. I got my problems. I do. But I look at adversity as a strengthening factor. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be tougher because, you know... You're going to see I'm holding my arm in all kind of weird positions. This arm is pretty much dead. All these operations on my shoulder, as you know. But all that stuff has just made me rethink what I'm going to do for my health. It's made me rethink what I'm going to do for job and business. You know what I mean? I'm not laying on the couch. I'm not being a puss. And, and I can use that word, can I? I can say pussy.
0: Dude, say it. Ah. Say it with that deep accent.
1: <laughs> no, but, it, you know, all things considered, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm in a constant state of reflection. Uh, over my life, uh, over my current situation, over my past, present, and future, and that constant state of reflection gives me a up-to-date summary of how things really are. Yeah. You know, you can experience that one bad thing where somebody treats you like uh, treats you like shit, mm-hmm. and you can dwell on that. But if you're in a constant state of evaluation, this Zen-like thing, if you will, you're gonna see. You're gonna put that negative experience in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the positive in your life is going to cause you to just move on from that.
0: Well, I think you definitely embody that because out of I try. You do. Out of all of the people that I I have in, you know, in in my kind of circle of friends or people Mm. that I know, whenever I think of you, not only do I get a big smile on my face, but I think this is a guy that kind of, I don't know if I want to say has life figured out, but has Mm. his own position in life figured out in a way that makes him happy
1: would that be fair to say i think that's very fair to say um you know i I don't have life figured out but i I have my journey figured out i know where i'm headed yeah and um if i say i have life figured out well that means i'm on my deathbed.
0: yeah fuck that
1: i still have some living to do so who knows what tomorrow is gonna bring but in the here and now i've got this you know
0: yeah you, you definitely do, and it seems like when you were saying, but you put like s- things into perspective. If somebody, if you have a bad experience, you don't let that dominate the I bigger picture. I can't. No.
1: Um, having said all of this positive talk, this Zen-like uh, Buddhist peace that I try to have around myself. Having said all that, I like I said, I do have problems. I can be prone to depression. Mm. Um, I'm still reeling from the loss of my son Mm. in November 2019 yeah of course um so 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 those things are there yeah but having control over my own thoughts and my own feelings will allow me to experience that moment or that wave or that period of depression but still keep it in perspective yeah um I lost my son but I still have three other children yeah I still have Snoopy, the wonderful lady yeah. you met out there. She used about an hour and a half to park that car. Dude. But she's good for other things. Wow. So,
0: yeah, that took some time. You know, so
1: so I, I have my family. I have my friends. Um, I have the work that I do. Mm. And when all of those things bring me so much joy, I can't say that I'm a depressed man. No. I'm a man who has moments of depression, moments of frustration, yeah, moments of anger, moments of helplessness. But that's that doesn't define me. That's not my defining moment. None of those things are. My defining moments are those periods of joy with friends and family. Yeah. So I try to keep it in perspective.
0: Yeah, I think perspective is super important, but it also sounds like you're very grateful for what you have. So. I
1: I use the word blessed a lot. I am quite the blessed man. There's been so much so many good turns <clears throat> that life has brought me um and and I recognize that I recognize my fortune, I recognize my position of privilege um I mean it's what, all about keeping things in perspective i'm yeah, I was just
0: going to say when you say you recognize the good things that life has bought you, have these been kind of coincidental serendipitous things, or have you somehow bought those good things into your life through? your good own questions.
1: actions good question in the beginning it was maybe a, a a quite coincidental thing you know when you're a child you don't have too much control over your surroundings um but as i grew older and as i listened to the sage advice coming from my mother uh, my grandmother and my my aunt um no coincidence that it's women yeah i was just about to say the- yeah, yeah. Uh, listening to them, following their lead, having them as role models, put a constant experience of positivity, a constant experience of love, of self-assuredness uh, into my hard disk up through the years, mm. so that now it runs on its own. That positive in that positive um, setting. Yep. You know, I can you can switch your brain to negative or positive. Mine has been on positive because of those formative years when I was younger. Okay. Now, a lot of bullshit happened to me when I was younger. yeah. Uh, there's some men in my life who are no good at all. yeah so I had that negative thing, but it was counterbalanced by the beauty and the love and the positivity from the women okay in my life <clears throat> during my childhood years. Yeah. So you see uh, you, you can't control those things when you're a child but uh, and, and along those lines uh, you know I, 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 I feel sorry for the adult who says that they act this, that, or the other way You know, negatively, maybe a life of crime or addiction or whatever, and they say it's because of what happened to me when I was a child. Yeah. What happened to you as a child is part of it, but what about what happens to you when you're an adult, when you become a free thinker, Yeah. when you have gathered up those experiences up through life? What are you doing with that?
0: Yeah. It's, it seems like, though, a lot of those experiences that form your mental programming as a child it can kind of go either way if you're exposed to negativity. Sure. It seems like you took the path of resilience and you were able to withstand the storm of negativity from some of those negative forces in your life. Yeah. And it led towards you developing with the, positive attributes that you got from the women in your life and holding on to that mental programming. So when you were in a position to make your own decisions, you fell into the positive path instead of, which happens to yeah. so many people, I, I would, you know, even say like people that have negative things to happen to them, they can go either way. It can make them stronger sure. or it can make them worse.
1: Sure. And, and it's kind of arbitrary. I mean, it's kind of random which path people choose to take. Uh, but I feel <clears throat> that there were I don't want to say a single moment, but maybe several moments in my younger years where I was pushed a little bit more in that positive direction in spite of the bad things that were going on. I can give you an example. I um, I had a full college scholarship to play American football. It was very good. I was a very good running back. Quite athletic. Got a full scholarship. First person in my family to ever go to college, Mm. much less have a scholarship. Yeah extremely positive experience. It was kind of pulling me out of some of the ugly things that were going on from my childhood. So here I am, uh, I've left home, I'm going to university as as an 18 year old, but then those same things that I was leaving to go away to university is what pulled me back. My parents were going through some ugly times, rough divorce, and like a fool, in my 18 year old mind, I thought if I come home if I give up this and come home, maybe I can help. Maybe I can fix things. And I gave up that college scholarship. So you see, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's this—it's this constant battle between the—it's—it's a—it's a subliminal battle between the positive and the negative. It's a—it's a battle between the positive influence that takes me. You know, to a major university to play football Mm. and go to school for free, and then that other thing that pulled me out of that and put me right back in the same situation. At that point, that was a turning point in my life. In that, I could have become bitter because I found out almost right away. I'm not going to change anything. This isn't my relationship. This is theirs. I wish I would have realized that. Yeah. Before I gave that up, you know, let's let's just play that out. It's easy in
0: hindsight, though. That's well, in really hindsight,
1: easy. and here's, here's the dangers of hindsight, because in hindsight, I could say, well, I was a very talented football player, um, uh, I have a free education, I could have been a doctor, lawyer, or whatever, or I could have turned pro and played pro football and made tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Ball on. And I've, I haven't done any of that. But putting things in perspective, can I say that I have a bad life now because I made that decision to quit college? No. Absolutely not. No,
0: That's pretty good.
1: I'm living good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm fine financially. I'm fine socially. I'm fine creati- creatively.
0: Mm.
1: But a more bitter mindset all those years ago, when I was eighteen, nineteen years old, twenty years old, could have set me on this path uh, that was focused on the bitterness. Yeah, and, and that, that can that can lead to worse decisions. That can decisions. lead to crime. That can yeah. lead to addiction. That can it lead sure to can. being ostracized socially.
0: So you. Decided at 18 that you were going to just walk away from a football scholarship to go back to your, uh, to my family, your family, and try to heal your parents' relationship. But but that's such a self-sacrificial thing to do. That's like you must have realized that you were closing a very exclusive door on your future to go and try to save people that you loved. I think that's it's kind of brave. And very selfless.
1: I didn't, looking at it now, I mean, if someone else told me that they did that, I'd think they were a combination of stupid and selfless. (laughs) Yeah. But at the time, I was just a confused 18-year-old. I was still a kid. I was far from an adult. I didn't have an adult mindset. The sad thing is, is that I had no counseling.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Did you have anybody to talk to? I
1: I approached the coaches uh, on my team And I guess times were different. You know, I look at the time when I was a police officer uh, in the middle 90s into the early 2000s, and there was no such thing as counseling. There's no such thing as a debrief after a traumatic event. You just kind of had to, you know, suck it up and and march on like a good man. And that type of mindset was reflected on that football team. I approached one of my coaches. I'm not going to say his name because he's actually kind of famous. He's a professional coach now, still at it. Hmm. But I approached this guy, And I told him, I have this dilemma. There's trouble back home. I'm very much affected by it. I need some help. What do you think I could do? And he told me to stop being a pussy and get dressed for practice. That was his response. And I knew at that point, I'm going to finish up this season. I might show up again for the next season or the next school year, rather. Uh, But I think I'm done. I kind of made that decision right then and there. When he gave me that response. He actually put me in a position where I felt like an idiot for sharing my feelings.
0: I understand. It's that old school, tough it out kind of mentality. It's that old school,
1: tough it out kind of mentality. Um,
0: Don't be a pussy. Get dressed for practice.
1: And and I don't really know what's acceptable or not today. But I know that in my life, you know, I want to be the big Muscular, sweaty guy, you know, kicking ass on the powerlifting platform, but I also want to be that that kind-hearted, sensitive guy, uh, you know, who, who can write a beautiful love song to his wife, and who can listen to uh, the problems of others, and who can talk into this microphone and put his problems out there in the hopes that it might help somebody. So I want to be both of those guys, whereas back in the day, you could only be one or the other. One was praised, the other was ostracized as being weak.
0: Yeah, they were kind of mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a shame, isn't it?
1: I wonder how many... I wonder how many otherwise frustrated men could have been great men Mm. if society would have allowed for that duality back in the day.
0: Well, I think that it kind of goes in waves because there are definitely, there are definitely societies in ancient civilizations, which say like Marcus Aurelius, or you can have a look at like samurais and people who were fantastic at calligraphy and poetry, but still like a badass Ronan swordsman. So that duality has existed in the past before, but in, you know, maybe the era and the time and the place, when yeah. you were young it just wasn't there it just wasn't there right like i say so. this was
1: a this was a uh, college football coach who has a very large influence on a young man's life potentially and that's the response he gave me
0: yeah you know i'm watching this show now on nrk it's a wrestling show it's called hudeklama it's about i think it's like I main like headlock or something like that yeah. and there's a coach on there who has an athlete who's a little bit less He's a little bit more of a like a feelings kind of emotional athlete. And the coach is very, sounds like your coach. He's just yeah. like, push, train, hard, yeah. don't be a pussy. And there's a dichotomy between what the athlete, high level athlete, amazing athlete, mm-hmm. and what the coach wants. And yeah. they're just not connecting. And there's two schools. One thinks that like, Maybe you should listen more to the emotional needs of the athlete, and then other people are thinking like the athlete who's trying to prepare for the Olympics is competing against Russian wrestling yeah. psychos, yeah. competing against guys that are just fuck feelings. I'm here to smash, yeah. yeah. And you know you're competing against those guys, so it's a, it's a good show. Check it out.
1: I'll check that out. Yeah, yeah I don't. I, think don't watch, like I don't watch too much Norwegian TV. I need to change that. But uh, yeah, I'll check that out. Mm. But I, I believe in. <clears throat> I believe in allowing for men, for, for people, to have a dual, a duality to their persona. Of course. Again, you know, the tough, strong, powerlifting guy, but the sensitive songwriter, uh, husband, father.
0: Dude, absolutely. Um, I think it's I think it's really important because you hear a lot about people talking about this toxic masculinity trait, Yeah. which is, it's a term that I think gets kind of abused. I, I agree. But... There is some element of truth to it. And I would say a part of the toxic masculinity branding is that men are not in connection with their own feelings and their emotions. And I think a part of that is society. It's being pressed out
1: of them at a very young age by society.
0: (sighs) Boys don't cry. Um, Suck it um, up, pussy.
1: But then you have – it can swing too far
0: in the other direction
1: because you also have that element of society – That tries, you know, because of this this narrative about toxic um, uh, masculinity, this element of society that tries to pull all ambition and competitiveness and uh, curiosity out of young boys.
0: Yeah, it's fucked.
1: And I wonder, you know, what's that all about? The pendulum is swinging too far. I I believe, and I understand, the pendulum swings, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like somebody has pushed that so it swings a little bit further. Yeah, in that way, towards softening up men and taking away masculinity.
0: I think the, that masculinity
1: com- should be controlled, and that it should not be toxic, but it shouldn't be taken away. No, and I think the pendulum has swung so far that it's being taken out of young men these days. I, I think at least here in Norway,
0: I think so too. And I think a lot of the people that are swinging the pendulum in the other direction are probably people that lack masculine qualities. You know what I mean? I think you said it. I said it, man. I think it's people that don't like the qualities that they don't have. And then they criticize them. And it's not that they don't have them. It's just maybe it's a work ethic. Maybe it's a type of inclination towards doing something physical, which they oppose. Yeah. And then they go, oh, you're a fucking powerlifting meathead. Oh, you're just an MMA fucking blood. It's, it's, yeah. it's you know what I mean? You criticize often what you cannot be because it threatens you. So then they come up with the toxic. fear. Doesn't it kind of always come down to that?
1: Yeah. And and some people are a little paranoid. They feel like that. They feel that someone else's strength is going to be uh, some sort of offense towards them. It's going to be used against them. Yeah. So this needs to be suppressed before it harms me.
0: Well, think about it. If you're some, uh, I don't know, like intellectual keyboard warrior, and
1: a lot of those out there, a
0: lot of those motherfuckers. And if your survival strategy to pass on your genetics. Isn't based around physical appearance. Isn't based around strength. Isn't based around climbing to the top of a ladder. Yeah. Maybe your strategy is to bring that ladder down. Right. Right. And it feels like one of the Whether ways. Whether it's conscious or subconscious. It, exactly it's there. And I don't. Yeah. I don't blame them for that because I think that that. Well, it's survival for it, them. It is. It's your genetic expression right. operating in the environment with which you were born. And you're using this technique to try to pull other guys down so that your status can rise.
1: Well, that whole keyboard warrior thing fascinates me. And it's a sad, sad development in society. Uh, I see it all the time. I'm I'm fairly active on social media. I use it to promote my own uh, podcast and the things I do. So I come into contact with a lot of people. And some of these keyboard warriors, they've got the balls to write these things. But all of a sudden, those balls dissipate, oh, turn yeah. to dust yeah, yeah, when yeah. I invite them to my podcast. Hey, man, you started something here. Let's talk about it. Let's you know, stop the writing about it, the typing about it. Let's talk about it. And they're not interested.
0: No, they're not interested.
1: And I think it's because they have fallen into a state of complacency where they've stopped thinking for themselves, where they're just pulling up the right wing or the left wing talking points and yeah. they're repeating those online. Yeah. They're not thinking for themselves. They don't trust themselves in a dynamic conversation.
0: No, of course not. On a microphone. It's going to fall apart.
1: But I believe that social media is the worst form of communication there is. It can be entertaining. Yeah. It can be used for good things. Mm -hmm. But if you really want people to know who you are, you need to find a different way than social media.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Now. This this discussion you and I are having will be posted eventually on social media. That's another thing, yeah. Because that is a documentation of a real conversation.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um,
1: this this keyboard warrior stuff, man. I think I, I'm afraid of what it's doing to society,
0: dude. There is a song out at the moment. I think it's by a guy called Lil Nas, and it has a line which describes Lil Nas X. Yeah, yep. it describes what we're talking about perfectly. I think the line is like. All these social networks and computers got these pussies walking around like they ain't losers. And that's exactly what it is. That is is exactly
1: what's happening. Exactly. That's a great summary of the situation. It It is.
0: It's just social networks and computers and people are hiding behind them and they're fucking losers. A lot of them in real life. And they think that they're not pussies. And then when they're they're so brave with their phones, I'm telling you,
1: I've got handfuls of people that I've invited on my podcast for conversations, and they just won't do it. But they'll talk all that shit on social media. It's yeah. fascinating.
0: Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you're if you're safe, safe it, it's super safe. It's safe. It's so safe.
1: But I wish they could open their eyes to the la- to what they're lacking yep. by doing that. I know that's kind of negatively formulated, but but again, you're you're, you're missing something. You know, it, it's, like the, it's like the 14-year-old girl who is trying to make plans for a birthday party and she'll never pick up the telephone to talk with her friends, but she'll text them. Yeah. Yep. And through that texting process, the whole planning process of this birthday party gets extended exponentially because the communication form is... It,
0: Dude, I tell people to call me. I say, fuck, it, listen, just call me. I I don't want to stare at my phone texting you. We can have this conversation in two minutes. And I've gone
1: over from, you know, sometimes you need to text. Yeah. You know, a regular SMS. I've gone away from doing that. I put a voice message in. I want them to hear me. I want them to hear the inflection, the tone of my voice, Mm -hmm. so that there's no misunderstanding, so that the message is clearer. And not the least is that hearing a human voice can be soothing. There's a lot of people sitting out there depressed, oh, yeah. and their whole world is this. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. But hearing a voice is something different. Yeah. It might stimulate something in them. It might cause them to reach out and have a cup of coffee or at least have a discussion on the phone as opposed to just this. This is so lonely.
0: It's very lonely because you're not connecting with any human. You're connecting with a device. And there's another human on the other end, but they're not connecting with you really.
1: And all you're seeing is their words. You're not hearing that tone. You're not watching that body language. You're not getting these natural, um, the natural social food that humans are supposed to have. You're not getting (laughs) that. And that is just going to lead to more social dysfunction
0: yeah of course both in the
1: individual and in the greater society
0: i i even take it a step further like when when my girlfriend's texting me or people texting me i go call me on facetime can we meet because if if we meet as well i'm taking it all in i'm looking at you i'm totally different i'm I'm detecting your pheromones i'm like seeing everything how you're operating in the environment in context and often there's such a reduced chance of misunderstanding yeah if we're yeah. having this conversation face to face and i'm seeing and taking in everything with my senses as opposed to me just reading something on a sms then it's I'll, a different impression man. completely different yeah. but that's actually why i like emojis mm. i do have to text uh quite frequently uh so but I, i'm always throwing in emojis and, you know, I just want you to know, like, hey, how's it going, smiley face? Yeah, I, I, and... I, I, I don't ever do it, but I, I just want you to understand the tone because sometimes things can get a little bit like... Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll engage in that internet language, you know, mm. with the emojis and the shortened words. In fact, when I write in Norwegian, I write in, in the dialect that I speak, in the northern Norwegian, you know, ah, instead of yai, and, and you know, yes. little things like that. So I engage in that, but I try not to lose my skills in that normal, natural human interaction, but what I'm afraid of is, is, is you know, and, and I, I have, I've got my eyes on my own children. Yes. And, I mean, they're doing fine, but it's always in the back of my head that they could lose some social skills because there's so much correspondence over texting. Yeah. And they might lose the ability. I, and I've, I've seen it. Young people who don't know how to have a regular phone conversation.
0: No, they don't know how to do that. I think it's something that you have I'm to I'm dating
1: myself but isn't yeah hold on let me
0: just <laughs> use the rear dial up phone and, you know I used to when I came to Norway I, I worked at this place called the Norwegian Tele Museum yeah. and it was hilarious because we had old telephones on display and kids would go there and they had no idea how to have use I the dial up have
1: I been that's here in Oslo somewhere. yeah it? it's, a, it's I think I've been there with the yeah coach, it's yeah.
0: A, at the technical museum up that's there. right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. it's one of those things it's it's pretty funny because they, they didn't have a fucking clue how to use a phone and all you know, the phone,
1: and, and and they, you know, they don't have to know how to use a phone, but it's just that general lack of social skills, that lack of, I call it normal human interaction. I mean, we were, we were made to to look into eyes, to watch the movement of the mouth, the body language, feel and smell the pheromones. We were made. That's what we were made to do. We were not made for these little devices here. This no. is a great tool. But it's taking over too much in society. I think that I said it. That's what I. That's that's my opinion.
0: It is. Well, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I don't know whether humans are going to evolve quicker to adapt to the, you know, what is it, Moore's Law? Like every year, uh, technology doubles in its uh, capacities.
1: We're definitely going to evolve differently.
0: Yeah. Uh, mm. So it's 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 pretty interesting to just to, like you know as a as a student of uh, civilization development no. to understand like no. what could happen in the future as we integrate more with technology. Do you
1: fear the future with technology?
0: Yeah, a little bit. See,
1: I I don't fear it yet. A little bit. You know, bit. I don't fear this thing, but I am aware of what it can do for me and against me. Mm-hmm. So I I don't fear it yet. Yeah. Uh, I don't even fear it for my children, but again, if if we don't if we don't reevaluate our usage of these things here and uh, computer screens and, and the way we communicate, if we don't evaluate that a little more deeply than what we do now, it's going to turn into something that needs to be feared because it's going to affect mega, uh, um, uh, it's going to affect people. I almost said meneskliheten. It's going to affect people negatively.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. it will. Did you want to hear my uh, my doomsday prediction for the future? Let's hear it. With technology, let's hear it. Okay, America pulls out of Afghanistan. Yeah, in there for how long? Twenty years, something like 21 that.
1: Twenty-one years. Twenty-one yeah.
0: total disaster. Kind of the way that everything happened. Quick evacuation, yeah. left a lot of equipment, left a lot of people, left a lot of stuff there. Not handled very well. Right. Why mm. leave Afghanistan so quickly, so badly, etc. So my prediction for the future, and I hope I'm wrong is that they're not finished with the middle east or afghanistan maybe i don't think so i don't think so this is this is just a you know crazy futuristic prediction so maybe it goes five years maybe it goes ten years they go you know what we are going to go back and we're going to try to restore democracy maybe the taliban start going crazy uh you know a lot of human rights atrocities things like that some political party funded by the military industrial complex is going to go well let's go back but this time we don't want to risk losing human life what we're going to do is we're going to send in robotic soldiers and
1: we're already kind of doing it with these drones
0: exactly now we have drones in the air that's pretty old technology wow.
1: Yeah.
0: The next step is these fucking DARPA the dogs. With, yeah. yeah. It's these robotic soldiers. Those things
1: are creepy, by the way.
0: Creepy. <laughs> creepy. And they're getting real good. Yeah. Like you've seen, like, I think it's the I think Boston it. Dynamics.
1: Yeah, that thing's doing backflips back and shooting a basketball. Yeah. And,
0: and How far away until that thing's knocking down doors, face scanning people <sighs> looking for yeah. insurgents. Yeah. Why not? Think about it. Yeah, why not? Wouldn't you prefer? I mean, you were in the army wouldn't you marines marines son wouldn't you prefer the army
1: is full of people who just didn't have the balls to go into the marines okay (laughs) there you go just just to clear that up yeah i
0: bet hello my
1: army dogs you guys know i'm playing
0: (laughs) so anyway prediction dark future with robots they start using them to do soldiering work to do police work it's very feasible i i think it makes sense and you know, you start seeing perhaps like some robot uprising, you know, Q fucking i robot, whatever.
1: Well, yeah, the thing is, is look look at air, airplanes, look at aircraft. They were the, the, the Wright brothers didn't make airplanes with thoughts of war in mind, but the war machine picked up that wonderful invention and then used it for its purposes. I don't know. I don't think that. These companies that are making these robots are thinking about using them for war purposes, but I guarantee you the war machine in America, China, Russia, other places is definitely looking at the possibilities. So your scenario is not unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and it's totally based on... The terminator it, movies
1: it can but you know what it can happen it can it really happen can. it really can yeah i think those robots are creepy
0: i think so too and elon musk yeah. is developing robots now have you seen those yeah that guy scares me yeah he said i'm in
1: awe of his of his thought process and uh-huh. the, the, the the things that he can imagine and the things that he makes happen i'm in awe of that but but that, that, that guy needs i think he needs to smoke a little more weed I think and, so and, too, and, bro. and just kind of stay home a little bit and and uh I don't, don't be so productive. Some of the things he's thinking of with these robots are yeah. that it's scary and artificial intelligence. Uh-huh. It's scary. We don't need that. No, we really don't.
0: And his his thing is that he's wanted, he wants to make the robots weigh like 30 kilos, something like that, so you can overpower them. But I don't think that's going to – it's not going to make much of a difference once those robots start being in control of the production process. And they go, why? Why are we thirty kilos? Why don't we be two hundred kilos? Why are we like do this? Do you
1: think? Do you think? And that, thats where I kind of step away from what you're saying. I I, I question, and, I, and believe me, I I don't have any idea about how artificial intelligence works. Me either. I don't get it. Um, but do you think artificial intelligence will be will become so advanced that these machines can literally?
0: But right yes. now, they can
1: think for themselves. And, you know, like a Tesla car will know when to stop in traffic and it knows how to turn and it learns as it goes, learning new routes for its GPS and things like that. So there is that learning process. But I would imagine that they've put in some sort of a stop for what kind of learning these things can do. Like if they become, you know, learning how to navigate through traffic is one thing, becoming self aware is another. Yeah, I think that... I, and I don't think... I would think that they've done something to keep that from happening. Oh,
0: yeah. You did something? All right, how about we're like the smartest computer on the planet and that thing <laughs> that your little monkey brain did? We just turn that off ourselves because we don't think you guys should be ruling us anymore.
1: Yeah, but we, there's that self-awareness thing. Us. Yes. Do they have a sense of us?
0: I think so. And th- why I say that is because... Do you remember like a couple of years ago, like Facebook or I think it was Google, they developed like this... Uh, AI, and then it started talking to another computer in its own language that they didn't understand. And then they had to pull the plug on it. They go, what the fuck? This thing is I like... I
1: want to say I heard something about that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it started uh, It started communicating in a language that people didn't know. And they go, oh, we can't control I this. I think I
1: did hear something about that, now that you mention that.
0: And then they pulled the plug.
1: So it came. It became self-aware. It formed its own language for whatever purposes it felt it needed to do that it
0: spun off in a direction that humans couldn't control and that's
1: very terminator ish
0: isn't it but don't you think so many things spin off in directions that humans can't control don't you think that like so many things that are based on innovation it's just like you said with the wright brothers it starts off as a plane and Mm. then it turns into like a b-52 stealth jet bomber it turns into all of these different things. And But see that
1: circles back to the human element. Humans decided to corrupt this technology. You're talking about the technology deciding to corrupt yeah. itself. And that's what I can't you know and again I don't know enough about it, but my first inclination is oh that'll never happen. That's we see that on the Terminator. Yeah. This will never happen in real life. These things control us. Yeah. Because we choose to pick it up, open it up and turn it on and do things on it. You're talking more of, you know, one of these uh, Elon Musk robots coming in and palm in your skull and po- pointing at the one and making you do things like that. I don't I just I don't think that that self-awareness is going to get to the point where it becomes a physical threat in and of itself. The threat will be because we corrupt current and future technologies to come to use for purposes of war, purposes of But maybe social construct and whatnot.
0: But maybe if we merge those two ideas together, like what you're saying and like what I'm saying, is maybe you could have like an, an agent, a person who does give it that programming. Because they want to So you're
1: talking about A person going rogue then
0: Maybe you have one of these James Bond type villains Oh Some fresh coffee delivery Oh man Thanks a lot bro It's
1: good to have friends
0: It is It is It is Let me <laughs> Slide your cup over John <laughs> Thank you so I'll much I'll hook you up Ooh, Thank left-hander. you so much Yeah no worries man. Eric's fucking legend there you go. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe a person could program one of these things. To
1: st- so you're talking about an individual going rogue. Okay, that can or, happen. Or, it happens all the time. Or
0: a rogue state. What happens if, like, North Korea start developing some kind of, like, uh, super genius? Um, maybe that's a bad example. What about, like, Russia or some... I don't know. I don't know. Think James Bond-type villain. Think programming a bunch of viruses into global defense systems. H- how about this? How about there's a... Uh, a program that you develop that's super intelligent whose mission is to get rid of all spam mail and then the intelligence thinks that where does spam mail come from humans okay if i get rid of all humans no spam mail
1: it expands on the thought but but then again there's that self awareness that self-initiating line of thought well you've already said and i and i remember myself about that that program that started uh, making its own language and that was self-initiated. Okay, so maybe it could, it could happen. I, I think. But but I, I think in general, you know, uh, Norm Macdonald, may he rest in peace, my favorite favorite uh, stand-up uh, comedian of the last 20 years. Uh, Norm Macdonald had a funny routine. I'm not gonna try and do, do the routine, but he was making fun of how people get so occupied with and afraid of North Korea he's like what that tiny little country way across the ocean that's going to come and get me that's what i wake up afraid of in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and i kind i'm kind of on board with that type of thinking in that you know russia is not a friend of the united states i'm using america so that's that's my homeland russia is not a friend of the united states and neither is china but neither russia nor china is interested in doing you know, creating some type of technology that, you know, just like you and I are talking about how technology can get out of control. I'm sure they're thinking of this as well. So no country has that in 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 their interest, that they should create something that might benefit them now, but could turn against them and possibly destroy the world later. That's why we have all these nuclear weapons, but nobody's using them because we're not that crazy. Humankind is crazy, but we're not that crazy and i think it's that not crazy not that crazy element that keeps things in check when it comes to development of technology okay yeah robots and whatnot can become self-aware but i think people who are creating this, this technology are putting things in place to keep that from happening i believe that Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I trust too much in the goodness <laughs> yeah, and the reasonableness. You're such a positive I'm, person. I'm sorry. You're
0: so positive. I think okay, <laughs> fuck it. The world's gonna end tomorrow. No, I, 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 don't, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's gonna end. I think. I think you're kind of right in a way. I
1: but- think. Yeah. You know, r- Putin doesn't want to destroy his own people. He would like to control the world, mm. but he has no interest in humankind being eradicated. And I think that thought bleeds down through most people, unless you're crazy. If you have some sort of psychological issue, you're not thinking that way. But I think most people are thinking that way, thereby they are willfully putting in place safeguards when they make this new technology. Um, I believe that there are scientists out there that know uh, so much about uh, uh, automation and, and um uh, uh, you know, uh, self initiatives uh, aspects in technology that they could make a robot that could think with a CPU that basically works like a brain. And it can teach itself not just how to do mathematical problems quicker, but it could teach itself how to literally think and learn as a human does. I believe that technology is out there, but I don't think anyone is going to implement that because of the dangers that come with that technology. That's my belief in mankind. Yeah. That's my belief in the kindness. That's my belief in the, 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 the idea of self preservation. Nobody wants that to happen. Not even this brilliant scientist, you know, living underneath a mountain and, and building things. Yeah. He does not want
0: yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you. I think if anything like that did is my happen, my
1: positivity bleeding off on you,
0: dude. It Am is. Am I killing
1: the inner conspiracy? Theorists? No, no, Kill no. It he'll, with kind he'll, of... he'll he'll never he, he'll, never die. He'll, he'll never, never die. he'll never die. He'll never die.
0: Never <laughs> die, dude. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, actually you. You were a police officer. Yes, in Chicago,
1: Chicago uh, suburbs, the South Side of Chicago.
0: Okay, and
1: Bidel for you, those of you listening in. Uh, in Norwegian, Abidal uh, of Chicago.
0: And how how long were you a police officer for? Uh,
1: seven years, roughly, just under seven years.
0: And what 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 era are we talking here?
1: We're talking. I started in 1996, and I was finished in late 2002. Okay, and almost you, seven years. Okay, yeah.
0: so how was your experience as a police officer in Chicago? And you said you're in the suburbs, so I guess you're not like in. Ganglands in the well, gangland, city and th- gangland
1: is everywhere around Chicago.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I was a gang and narcotics police officer detective. Okay. Yep. Plain clothes. Um, so the gang thing, the drug thing, uh, uh, murder, money laundering, all that stuff. I worked with all that stuff. Uh, um, you get it from a little bit of a different angle if you're right in the middle of Chicago, mm-hmm. but it is there. Yeah. Um, very often we had cases that led us into the streets of Chicago. Um, but it was, a, for me, it was quite the culture shock. I tell people I had more of a culture shock experience starting as a police officer there outside of Chicago than I had when I came here to Norway.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I'm a country boy from rural Ohio. So just run that through your brain there. From that to this city is you know, the, the, the third largest city, uh, the worst gang infested city in America. And not only living there, but becoming a police officer there. It was a big shock to me. It was a big eye opener uh, when it comes to the plight of <laughs> humans in society. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of money. I saw a lot of people making money, both legally and illegally. But I also saw, that was my first exposure to real trauma. Uh, that was my first exposure to real poverty.
0: Yeah. Or was it tra- trauma that you experienced? Oh, yourself? I had experienced
1: trauma before. Again, yeah. back to my childhood. Okay. But experiencing the trauma of others.
0: Okay. So this is um, people that have been victims of People who have been victims crimes. of
1: serious crimes. Yeah. Um, and they... and it, it did something to me. Yeah. Um, it was a moment of maturity. Okay. I tell people I wasn't I didn't really feel like I was an adult until I started uh, as a police officer and I was 27 years old. Mm. When I started as a police and I, I I I feel like that was when I finally was was an adult. Because that's when I started experiencing um like I say that trauma that people have experienced, the poverty. Mm. Uh you have a lot of people who talk about how people who live in the inner cities of America should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I made it, you can make it too, this is America. Uh, As long as you apply yourself, you can make it in America. No, you can't. I've seen it.
0: And why why can't you make it in America? Because that's what they sell. In the
1: Chicago area, you have people, and in other cities in America, you have people who, they are the third or fourth generation of poverty. And when I say poverty, I mean nothing. They have nothing. Mm. They get a small check from the government and they probably don't have anybody in their family who finished school. Uh, uh, they, they've they never owned property. Uh, there's a history of, of them being arrested. Uh, there's no job opportunities. No, these people literally have nothing and they may be the third or fourth generation. Now just think about that. When you have no role models in your immediate family, none, nobody who has ever had a job, nobody who has ever finished their education, nobody who has ever done, done anything maybe never even been outside of that neighborhood can you imagine that that you've, you you might be a 30 35 year old man or woman and you've never left your neighborhood you've yeah. never seen the sky
0: yeah it seems you know one of the things the that stars I, you know eh. one of the things that i i find astounding It's kind of what you're saying is you watch movies or documentaries about people from america and they've never seen the ocean mm. And you go, "Fuck! You've never seen the ocean." Think
1: about that, right? Yeah. And then, like, they're not young. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it was an eye opener, um, but I learned a lot. Yes. There was a um, a period of adjustment, but when I fell into my groove and figured out the kind of police officer that I wanted to be, then I really started registering the learning moments as a police officer. Um, I learned a lot about myself. Mm. I can give you an, a, a good example, something that I think about all the time. There was a guy, he was maybe in his mid 20s, who had, over a longer period of time, uh, repeatedly raped an 11 year old girl. And this girl, she had some issues, some cognitive issues. Um, she wasn't doing very well in school. Um, uh, I can't remember if she had any kind of a mental diagnosis, like ADHD or any kind of learning uh, disabilities that were actually put on her, but she had issues. The only sign that this girl put out there that she was traumatized in some way was that she was constantly pulling like maybe one or two hairs at a time out of her scalp so that when I interviewed this 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 young girl, you know, who was a victim of rape, her hairline started like halfway back on her head because that was her, her thing, her mm. tick, if you will. She would just pull her hair out constantly. Mm. If it started to grow back, she would pull it out. So her hairline was back here, 11-year-old girl. And no one had ever addressed that not her parents, not her teacher. I'm getting a little emotional here, <clears throat> but when I spoke to that 11 year old girl, I asked her, I says, why do you, because the whole time I'm talking to her, getting her her story, if you will, about what had happened to her, she's pulling her hair out like this, and I ask her, why, why are you doing that? She says, well, it hurts. And I says, well, stop doing it. She says, no, no, not this. It hurts here. I'm mm. like, what do you what do you mean? She said, because of what he what he did to me, you know, she couldn't put words on the anxiety, the fear of him coming back, the trauma of being raped repeatedly. She couldn't put words on it, but she hurt inside and this was comfort. Mm. She could feel the pain. Mm. You know, people who, who are self harming, people who cut themselves. Her thing was pulling her hair out like that. Yeah. Okay, so I talked to this girl, and she finally reveals why she's doing it. And then, long story short, when it comes to her, she ended up getting some help. Yeah. But now let's shift over to the guy who did this. I also had to interrogate that guy. Mm. They do things a little bit differently here in Norway, but in the States, you have a lot more freedom when you're interrogating a suspect. Um. And one thing uh, that can be real beneficial to, as far as getting them to talk is to not coming at them in an adversarial way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, oh, you piece of shit, you raped that 11-year-old girl. I mean, not, you, you can do that, but you're raising the chances of that guy shutting up and you're not going to get a statement out of him.
0: Yeah.
1: I talked to this guy over a period of two days, several hours at a time, and actually developed... A rapport with this guy mm. I was friendly yeah with this guy
0: to get him to open up
1: and just saying that makes me want to go jump in the shower and yeah, wash myself
0: I can imagine
1: but it got this guy to open up mm. and basically admit both verbally and in writing everything that he did to this girl yeah and it led to his conviction and um he went away to prison Ended up dying in prison. I think he was there only a month.
0: Yeah, they got him.
1: Okay. Um, so, so what did I learn from that? I'm talking about how I learned something about myself. Mm. Uh, and I don't know. I still don't know. Uh, I'm not saying this, was, this is traumatic, but it is something that I ponder. What? Was it worth it? falsely building this rapport with this disgusting rapist for the, for the way it made me feel the way it still makes me feel.
0: Mm.
1: I'm trying to balance that with the result, which was that this guy was convicted and this girl got help. Yeah. But then you add on that. This guy also died. Yeah. Is that right? Is that
0: sounds like justice to me?
1: Yeah. But is it right? Did he deserve to die? Fuck yeah. Could, could, you know, and my first inclination is to say, fuck yeah. Yeah. But the other side of me, that's always in this state of, of, of an- analyzing. Yeah. Says, well, what if this guy would have served his time? What if he would have truly seen the error of his ways? What an advocate for justice, for treatment, for rape victims, this guy could have been. If he would have served his time, I don't remember how many years he got mm. from his conviction. Um, uh, but what an advocate, you know, some of the best advocates for anti-crime measures are people who have served time for crime. Yeah. You've seen that, I'm sure.
0: Yep, definitely.
1: So do you see the do you see the, the duality, do you see the balancing act that I had to play? And yeah. I, th- that's just one example. There's a lot of things like that, um, similar and drastically different, but a lot of instances during my time as a police officer where there's this balancing act, and it really opened my eyes. I went from being a um, a guy who would watch Fox News in the early days, you know, the early to mid nineties, mm. and, and agree with somebody like uh, like Bill O'Reilly. Yep, I went from that to actually being out on the streets as a cop, and I consider my considered myself uh, quite left leaning as a police officer. Mm. Kind of made me feel alone. <laughs> yeah as a cop yeah so it was about it was a balancing thing constant
0: i can i can appreciate the balancing thing uh just to kind of i don't know like add something from my perspective to what you said i talk too much you no, need to add more no, no, i talk too much no i'm uh <laughs> I, all i'm thinking is that like you hear a lot about how the yes. criminal justice system in america especially america doesn't actually reform people it doesn't so you you could get this guy who serves time and he could just end up worse and then he could come back out and he could be a repeat offender which seems to be exactly that's what happens a lot it's
1: very arbitrary it's very it's up to the individual to rehab themselves because the system certainly doesn't
0: no it doesn't and when you're dealing with somebody who has committed such a horrendous crime like that i don't know whether in your evaluation of the balancing act whether him having the opportunity to perhaps do that ever again Is uh, something that should be considered?
1: Well, at the time I was thinking, you know, nice job, uh, Detective Reese. This guy is, uh, uh, this guy's going to prison. Uh, This girl's going to get some help. Mm. Nice job. Yeah. But after, after days, just a few days, I started thinking, you know, I was friendly with this guy. I sat and spoke with him pretty much all day for two days and had a rapport with this guy.
0: That's what you had to do though, right? That was the assignment. Yeah,
1: that was the assignment and I did it and I did it well. Yeah, But it's still, to this day, still something that makes me feel like I need a good shower yeah, of, of the soul, a yeah. shower of the soul. And then you add on to that the fact that this guy ended up getting killed while he was locked up.
0: Yep. Yeah does that weigh on your conscience sure yeah
1: absolutely i'm too nice maybe because i can say fuck that guy
0: fuck that guy yeah yeah
1: and i i can't get mad at anyone anyone who says that but he's dead and i played a role in him going to the place where he ended up dead and it's like so you think
0: there's blood on your hands
1: I think that way sometimes.
0: Ah, uh, I don't think you should think that,
1: Doctor James. I do. No, that's a,
0: <laughs> let me prescribe you with a big hug.
1: <laughs> no, I. I
0: <sighs> it's. I, I mean, I. This is
1: very uncop like, but these are the thoughts that I have. These are the thoughts that I had back then. Mm. Not immediately. Not right away. Um, people ask me all the time. Weren't you afraid to do this? Didn't you feel excitement about this? Yeah, I was always very calm, and I focused on my training during, but usually immediately after, that's when that evaluation process would start. Oh, my God, was I really driving 120 miles an hour through the middle of town chasing this guy in a car? The thoughts come afterwards. Yeah. Just like, you know, while I was interviewing that guy, while I was building a rapport, I didn't think any. it's my job, I'm doing it. But afterwards, a couple of days after, I started, you know, yeah. And then the guy ends up dead, and then I really start thinking. Yeah. So.
0: And um. I know that there's been a lot of criticism towards yes. the police in Well-deserved. America. Well deserved. Yeah. So I just wanted to, as a as an ex police officer, what are your thoughts on uh, what happens in America? today with police officers and uh, yep. things like systemic racism, things like police techniques, things like defund the police. What are your thoughts?
1: Here's the things that, uh, here's the conversation that gets me uh, both praise and in trouble. <laughs> I've lost friends because I, I've, I've vocalized my thoughts on these things, but I don't care uh, because it's also brought me closer to people. Mm. Um, it, again, duality. <laughs> yep. But um, the police in America, they need to be reformed. Uh, defund the police, I am behind the concept, but I hate the messaging. I think defund the police is the worst message they could put out there, because that makes people think that you just want to get rid of the police, and I don't think that that serves anyone well. Uh, but defund in the sense that you reallocate funds. There's a town in New York, I cannot remember, it's in upstate New York, uh, I want to say. I wish I could remember the name of this town. They have reallocated funds, uh, tens of millions of dollars out of the police budget and put it into social services.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, crime has gone down drastically, murder down drastically. Yeah. That reallocation of funds has led to people getting the help they need. The police don't need to be involved in every situation and it is the fact that they are involved in every situation which is leading to some misconceptions about what the police are supposed to do. It's leading, toward, it's leading to a lot of animosity both from the police to the public and in return from the public to the police. The police have just been getting involved in things they don't need to get involved in. If a mother calls the police because her um, adult son is having a mental episode, why do the police show up and that guy ends up shot? Yeah. And I'm referring to specific cases. Yep. Why does that happen? Mm. Why can't that mother call instead of 911, maybe it's called 912, and a mental health worker comes out yep. and has a conversation with that guy and leads him peacefully and willfully into a vehicle and they drive to a mental health institution? That's what the reallocation of funds can do. That's just one example. Yeah. So I get behind the criticism that the police are getting. They deserve it. They need the criticism. But not only do the police as individuals need that criticism, because if you criticize the individual, if they're any kind of a thinking uh, person, if they have any kind of a heart, excuse me, they're going to take that criticism and apply it to their job. In other words, they're going to evaluate. I keep talking about reevaluating things. they're going to reevaluate the way they do their police work, and it will hopefully lead to some changes, yeah, so that's for the individual cops, but the system is where the problem is. I'm not that occupied with racism on an individual level. I'm occupied with systema- systemic racism, yeah, that is what needs to be cured. You're not going to cure you may cure individuals of racism, but I believe it's the system that needs to change,
0: yeah. It's not the
1: individual that kept me from buying the home that I wanted here in Norway twice. That's not an individual. That's a system that has been accepted somewhat by the society that led to that. Yeah. And I have two specific cases where that happened to me and Snoopy. We couldn't buy the house we want because I'm a black man. You think that... I don't think I know. Okay. Here's the thing. I've said this before on my podcast, but what happened was... um, I speak only English with Snoopy. Doesn't matter where we are. I speak English with her. Yeah. Um, but I'm fluent in 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 Norwegian, almost flawless in yep. Norwegian. So we go to a showing for a house. We're speaking English. Uh, so people rather ignorantly just assume that we don't understand Norwegian. Maybe they think she's from Poland and uh, I'm yeah, a fresh yeah, immigrant gotcha. from wherever. Yeah. So we heard on two occasions where the homeowner said something to the real estate agent to the effect of I'm not going to sell this home to that black motherfucker and ruin the neighborhood. Something to that effect. Mm. And the real estate agent, okay, yeah, don't don't worry about it. Don't. In fact, one of them even said, don't worry about it. He probably doesn't have any money. Oh, shit. So it's not about thinking and a lot of people immediately say, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but a lot of people will immediately say, oh, come on, John, you're overthinking it. How do you know it was because of racism? But you heard that shit. It came out of their mouths.
0: Yeah. But is that, like, say, for example, and I, I'm i not surprised that you've gone through that. And I think that some people are just fucking assholes. Absolutely. They're just fucking cunts. Absolutely. They're just, they're just cunts.
1: But it's a systemic thing because it's, well, I'm sorry. Go,
0: go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was, like, can the system stop you from bidding on that house if you really wanted it? Like, is there a system in place? So, say for example, like when you buy an apartment, there's like a bidding system where you send in your bid. Can they, they, you know what? They probably can if they don't want to sell it to you. They probably don't have to.
1: There are, I've sold a lot of homes. Snoopy and I have moved a lot. We've bought and sold a lot of homes and apartments since we've been here. Mm. And looking at the system of mm-hmm. how they buy and sell houses here, it's not an airtight thing when it comes to potential corruption, to potential racial bias and yeah. gender bias. Yeah, I bet because uh, because real estate agents have treated Snoopy differently because she's a woman. Yeah. So it to me so so back to the systemic thing. There's something with the system, the real estate system here in Nor- in Norway, that allows things like that to happen to where people like me. Now I'm a I'm a. I'm this big, tough, loud-talking, self-assured American guy. But it crushed me to hear that. Yeah. And we thought it through, and we decided, you know, what is the use in saying anything?
0: Mm.
1: When you hear people say something, when you hear a real estate agent, and we also had seen some other things, because we're talking about a maybe an 18-month to two-year-long period when we first came here where we were looking constantly for a home. So we had a lot of experience. And we just saw some things that were incredibly unprofessional. And then you put on top of it these experiences where these people say these things. Mm. And we just felt like, you know, what what's the use? What, what's the use? And we'll just go somewhere else and try and find a different home.
0: Yeah. It's really helpful. That is
1: the system yeah. that does that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh I would hope. It sucks. I would I would hope that w- the period that you're talking about was somewhere in the past and things have gotten this better. This is
1: in 2003.
0: Yeah, okay. So I mean So
1: things may have changed I, now.
0: I feel like I I, I, I mean, and it's difficult for me to talk, you know, from like your perspective as a as a black man in Norway. Mm. But I would hope that now in 2021 where multiculturalism in Norway is more widely spread, where people hopefully are more tolerant of people from a different background. I would hope things are better.
1: I think people are more tolerant these days, but then also the the less tolerant branch of Norwegian society is much more vocal.
0: Mm, They seem to
1: be on some sort of recruiting campaign and that that causes me to, to, to have a little bit of anxiety.
0: Yeah, do you experience racism today?
1: Well, well, online for sure. Absolutely, you should see some of the comments, some of the emails, and stuff I get from people.
0: And they they attack your yeah, color yep. and things like that. Yep.
1: Oh, fuck. After each television appearance I've had, where I'm talking about racism, whether it's here in Norway or the situation back in the states, where I'm talking about police work and the problems within it, every appearance has led to a flood—not a flood, but a a smattering, a spattering of quite negative and racist emails and messages.
0: Okay. So a bunch of fucking assholes. That's
1: basically what it is. So they're there. Yeah. Uh, it, does, it doesn't and they're, bother me, it doesn't stop me from doing what I'm doing, but they are out there.
0: And are they attacking the uh, thought behind your ideas and you and as, as a black, a black man? man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, see It'll, the first thing I'm okay with. If they want to sure, attack your concepts, okay. I welcome, it. I welcome that. O- obviously. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. if they're just saying, hey, you fucking this, you fucking that, you don't it's like go
1: back to your country, we don't need you here, you don't have a voice here. Oh, Things that's like so that. Gross. Um uh, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but like you said, the vocal minority. It's like, you know, what's they're, that they're
1: a vocal minority, and minority is the key word here, but I wonder what is happening with the dynamic because they're so vocal now i think they're taking uh, ad, uh they're taking advice from donald trump um, and his ilk in the states yeah okay that's the... the same magnification they've gotten in the states mm. since the trump days i believe has come to a certain degree here in norway as well okay and i think it's a direct result of donald trump's uh time in the white house
0: so that's like a uh, kind of redneck
1: i think trump opened the door uh for racists worldwide okay uh used to be if you were a racist you ca- you were kind of quiet about it but now people are proud of it he made them feel like it's okay and it's not just racism he made them feel like it's okay to be a jackass to be a misogynist to be a dick. <laughs> yeah, you know. So these people, these these misogynists, these racists, these uh, these assholes, are much more vocal than they used to be, and it can give the impression that it's that that movement or that faction of society is growing. I don't know that to be true, no. but they're definitely more vocal,
0: and they they can find each other easier. Like they can connect to it, like some asshole Facebook group, for example. And and
1: I'll say a good, uh, a positive result of all that is that now we're talking about things that we didn't talk so very much about. There there has, before Donald Trump, there wasn't enough talk about institutional or systemic racism, especially here in Norway. Yeah. Because when you speak to most Norwegians, I think still today they will say, no, there's no problem with racism in Norway. Mm. But there is, and more and more people are realizing that more and more people are willing to at least have the conversation, if not get actively involved in eradicating racism and leveling the playing field in Norway. Um, we're having that conversation, and that is a positive result of the Trump regime. Yeah, Because he was up there saying and doing the things that he said and did, it's, it, it caused more and more people to get involved in the conversation. Look at the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, look at the protests that uh, we had in the summer of 2020. And when you would look out in the crowd, it was at least half white, if not a majority white, among the protesters. That's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And it says a lot about people's awareness and people's willingness to have that conversation. We're not gonna change the police here in Norway or back in the States unless we have that conversation. We've gone too long without daring to, who dares, you know? I dare. We should dare. People should dare to at least have the conversation. But that feeds into my frustration um, with my podcast that, that um, uh, where I was talking earlier about these keyboard warriors who aren't willing to come in and have a true discussion. There still aren't enough people who are willing to talk. I just want to talk. You don't have to believe everything I say and agree with everything I say, but let's just talk. Yeah. And there's not enough people willing to talk.
0: No. It's better now Yeah,
1: because of Trump. Can I say thank you, Trump? You can say it. His assholery, I believe, has opened the door to dialogue. There's more and more people who are thinking, good God, if I don't speak up, if I don't get on board, things are going to get worse. Yeah, And that's true. If you don't speak on these things, it will get worse.
0: Yeah. I have
1: well, some pretty strong opinions about that. I believe in dialogue.
0: I, I think dialogue is the key to people understanding each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that is the quintessential element for peace. You need to be able to have a a dialogue with somebody that you have an opposing idea with. And maybe you don't have Mm. to resolve that issue and totally be in agreement. But if you can at least talk to somebody, you can say, you know what? I disagree with this person, but we're still cool. it
1: raises the possibility of a compromise. Mm. Not that you've totally brought them over to your side, but that you can... There might be some elements it's made in the middle. to the theme where you out. can meet in the middle on yeah. this, side or the other, and it will make Give and things take. better for everyone. I, I'll say this to racists. If we lift up—okay, if you're a racist and you think that black and brown people are just shit people at the bottom of society, fine, if that's what you think. But don't you see the wisdom in raising their standard of living? Because the weakest of us— is what pulls down the productivity of, this society, uh, um, yeah, of the society, yeah, of the greater society. So if we have less people down here and bring them up here, the standards of our society, the income, uh, 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 people's enjoyment is just gonna be raised all, all around.
0: And I, I, I 100% agree with you. You and see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, totally. I formulated
1: it a little bit wrong, but. but
0: No, I'm, I'm on the same wavelength. Yeah. Because you can compare the two societies which you've lived a lot in, you can have a look at Norway, and then you can have a look at America. Yep. And it seems like Norway is kind of doing a better job at it is. at what you're describing. Yeah. And America is doing a worse job. You know, you've got the eradication of the middle class. Yep. You've got the top 1%. Yep. You've got people living below the poverty line. And you have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, almost like a class war or a class division. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in Norway, you have a, a bigger middle class. You have a higher level of education. You have, uh, I don't think you have that much poverty. I'm sure there's some people living in poverty, but there's more of a equal and open and fair society, which leads yeah. to a great opportunity, yeah. which is ironic because that is what America is always preaching.
1: I almost feel disloyal to my home nation uh, when it comes to that thing right there. The the, the opportunity for success mm. is greater here in Norway. So much greater. Of course, if you make it in the States, you make it much you know, far beyond what's possible here in Norway. But it's hard there's so few people who can do that now. Yeah. The middle class is disappearing. It's gone. And there's this mentality, even among the people who are poorer in the American society, there's this mentality that, why should I care what happens to you? Why should I have, why should anything be put in place to help you? It's all about me. Mm. And even the people who are in the lower rungs of society are, are thinking that. I'm talking mostly on the right yeah. in America. And I just don't understand that way of thinking. I think it's being exploited expertly exploited mm. by the political right in the United States and fortunately we're not seeing that here in Norway fortunately
0: yeah it's it's good i think that a lot of people in america buy into this idea of the capitalist dream so they think we don't want even if you're on the bottom rung of that ladder you think that perhaps you could be that rapper that succeeds, or you could be that athlete, or you could yeah. be that whatever. And then when it's your turn to shine, you don't mm. want to give all that cash away. Yeah. And that's just some dream that I think constantly gets sold in via popular culture, well, well, it's, via the it's news.
1: expertly exploited by the political right. Um, Is it
0: just the right, you think? I think so. Yeah? I think so. You don't think that it's like a kind of in-baked... Uh, into the, like the ethos of the nation.
1: Well, it is, but I think it's perpetuated by and it's solidified by the political right. Look what um, look at Biden's Build Back Better plan, and what he wants to do for um, uh, uh, two years of free university education for everybody. Beautiful. He wants to have free uh, daycare mm. for children pre for uh, pre preschool kids free. Yeah. Um. You know, and there's other things. And, and that is a, that is an exclusively left-leaning concept that President Biden is pushing and that the, the political left is pushing. The political right is against that. Yep. And I don't understand. Again, if the least of us have more, it will benefit. In other words, it's a trickle-up economy.
0: Yeah, 100%. Not trickle-down. Yep. If
1: the least of us have more uh, solid uh, economy, they're going to use that money, and it's going to add to the riches of those in the middle and upper class. Mm. And I wish they would see that.
0: I, the, the, the reason I like kind of push back a little bit on it just being like a perpetuation by the right is only because I was really hoping that Bernie Sanders would have been the president of America. So
1: did I. I, so did I was
0: really rooting for that guy. And I but feel like th- the party kind of did him dirty.
1: I think the left did him dirty. The Democratic Party did do him dirty. But I don't think it's necessarily because they disagreed with the core message that Bernie had. I think that they maybe correctly thought that Bernie was so far left, which really he's not. He's more to the right than Norwegian left is.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, he's more to the right. how do I say this? Uh, Bernie is not as liberal as what liberalism he- is here in Norway. But I think they correctly, on the left in America, the Democrats in America correctly thought that Bernie was too far left for America. And he was. Look at the narrative that was put out successfully that he's a communist, that he's going to bring back Soviet Russia uh, 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 tactics to America to American economy and social life and whatnot. That's not true. Mm-mm. But there were enough Americans who perceived him as that guy. I guess I'm saying I understand why the Democrats, did. I wish they would have backed him, but I understand why they didn't. Well, America as a, as a whole was not ready for Bernie Sanders. Stupidly so.
0: Stupidly so. And I, it's impossible to guess what would have happened, but their strategy of putting Hillary against Trump still failed and it
1: yeah but hillary was just too unlikable
0: exactly that's why would, when...
1: unfortunately that personality thing kicks in with american politics and
0: it makes sense
1: i think hillary would have been 10 times the president than trump was i think i'm sorry i think no i'm not gonna apologize th- more? yeah a little i think hillary would be would have been a better president than joe biden better and more effective I, I just, and I'm saying this because I don't get into that narrative that, all oh, the Clintons are killers and the Clintons are, you know, they're drinking baby blood and all that. I, I just don't <laughs> I just don't get into those, those conspiracies. Yeah. Looking at Hillary's effectiveness uh, on the world stage, you know, she was Secretary of State for all those years, looking at her political savvy, looking at her connections, I think she would have been a better president, definitely than Trump, probably a better president than Biden.
0: I think she would have done a better job at keeping the country united. Exactly. Actually.
1: Exactly. Um, and, and I'm not saying that Joe Biden's a bad president, but I think that Joe Biden is very open to that uh, that ugly criticism on the right. These things where people are trying to talk about his cognitive abilities or that he's a child molester and this and the other. Again, conspiracy theory bullshit. But he's so open for it. Mm uh he's an easy target he,
0: he does have kind of like some cognitive things though i
1: don't think so yeah, have you seen
0: like some he, of the clips where he just forgets what he's talking about i don't
1: I, and he had two look, how many he times, had two brain surgeries how many times in this in this uh uh conversation have i been like um uh, uh you know and admitted i didn't explain something proper do <laughs> i have cognitive uh, issues or is that just a normal thing and then you put on top of it he does have a stutter and a lot of people interpret that as some kind of Cognitive dysfunction. If he, uh, 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 you know, he has a stutter. Mm. That has nothing to do with cognitive. In fact, they say that when you have a stutter, it's because your brain is actually working and processing faster than the normal brain. And that's why you stutter.
0: Yeah. Your uh, brain
1: is ahead of your speech motoric. Yeah. It, it, so, so I, I just can't, I can't get in this.
0: I, have you seen some of the clips, though, where he kind of like, he, he doesn't make much sense and he starts like saying shit that like, you yeah, go, well, that's kind of uh, weird. And you know he's had a brain surgery too, right? Two.
1: He's had two. Two two brain surgeries? That's no joke. Look, look. look, uh, You know, I'll I'll defend Biden only to a certain point because, again, I feel that Hillary would have made a better president than him. Mm. He's not the perfect candidate. But I – Donald Trump is the first American president that I haven't been behind for at least part of their administration because that Mm. man displayed so much despicable – uh, uh, human traits, uh, you know, such a lack of character mm. f- since before he got involved in politics. So there was never any point where I was behind that man. Quite the opposite, I, 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 I wish something would have happened to where he could have been removed. You know, with his health, with his health, you know, still in place. I don't want him to be assassinated or anything. I didn't want him to be hurt, but I just wish something would have happened legally or legislatively to where he could have been removed. Mm. That's the first time I've ever felt that. About a president. Yeah. Um, I supported Barack Obama. I didn't agree with everything he did. I support Joe Biden. I don't agree with everything he does or the way he does it.
0: Yeah.
1: Going back to George Bush. If that's what I was going to say. I supported him. In, I remember, Think. go back to uh, uh, September 11th. Mm. Uh, the building is down. A couple of days later, he's out there with the bullhorn. Mm. And he gave such a raw, emotional rallying speech. I supported that man.
0: Yeah. The, Fast
1: forward to yeah. where there was a lot of doubt about the weapons the weapon, of mass destruction. I'm like, this asshole, what has he gotten us into?
0: Yeah, he's a dude. He, you, you but used- I did
1: support him at one point, and he's considered a pretty hard right Republican,
0: dude. I, I, I thought he was a fucking moron. <laughs> like, and I, I, I'm not an American citizen, I didn't support him, but I could even back then at a younger age, I just sniffed bullshit.
1: He was a little bit of it, he was an I never, idiot. I, I never sniffed, sniffed bullshit, but I did. <sighs> I, I laugh, you, you talk about uh, Joe Biden and his verbal gaffes and whatnot, oh I, I don't see it. I see a lot of people who will manipulate things and then put it online. But with Bush, I saw his verbal gaffes, but to me, it almost was an endearing thing. Mm. Oh, listen to this hillbilly here, oh, that was funny. You know, he's he was a guy who was maybe a little out of his element, but he was doing the best he could. And again, before the Iraq war mm. uh, and, and the push into Afghanistan, I supported that guy. Not only did I support him, I supported the team around him. Yeah. He seemed to have, although they were further right than I was at that time. Yeah, remember this is going back to two thousand. I was uh, still a police officer. And remember, I told you it was during my time as a cop that I shifted from right leaning to quite far left leaning. Yeah, but at that time I wasn't far enough to the left to where I would just blindly hate George Bush at that time, pre-war George mm. Bush. Mm. So I supported that guy at the beginning. I didn't, uh, you know, I guess I missed those days where you supported the president, even though you didn't necessarily agree with him on everything. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I do. Whereas now I think that most people in America who dislike Joe Biden don't even know what they truly dislike. They know that they get behind the talking points that Fox News and One News Network uh, put out there. Yeah. They've never studied Joe Biden's politics. No, in policies, they don't know what they hate. They just know the right says you're supposed to hate this guy. The right says he's a child molester and drinks baby blood, and that he has cognitive issues. I hate this guy. There's no studying of the politics. There's no studying of the person. They just hate. Yeah, they and follow I, the dogma.
0: Yeah, it, it does seem to be a uh, a big, almost like a tragedy that you have news that doesn't report things objectively it yeah. just plays it's to sad. a specific audience but you know go, going back to the uh to the uh George Bush thing because you know you said that Donald Trump was the only president that you wished wasn't in power Yep. and I remember from my perspective as being like a, you know a younger Australian guy at university at the time I thought that the way that he won the election Trump uh, no George Bush. Bush yeah yeah was bullshit I thought that he was uh uh I think the way that it went down was it went, ended up in a in a court case against, uh, what's the, you know, the environmentalist guy that uh, everybody uh, wanted to uh, win? I
1: uh, uh, almost said Dan Quill, not him. Um, why don't I know this guy's name? What's his name? Dude, uh, I
0: forget his name too. He was the vice president yeah, under Clinton. Under Clinton, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the vice president under Clinton looked like he was going to win. And yeah. then it.
1: And then the court case and they, came and they took and, votes away from and
0: him. And the court case, the judge that presided was George Bush's cousin. Yep. And I go, that's yep. fucking bullshit. And it was. W- one second, one second. Yep. When I saw that happen, I thought, no, they can't. It, they, it can't be his cousin. Because, <laughs> of course, I, I would give it to my cousin. And oh. then that made me realize that the more.
1: Political nepotism.
0: The more power or the more money is at stake, the higher the level of corruption. And then he won, and I was fucking flabbergasted. And I couldn't believe that that was the system that America was.
1: I was maybe more politi- or less politically mature at that time. Not, not maybe, I was less politically mature at that time. And I saw his win, George Bush's win for the bullshit that it was. Mm-hmm. But I got over it. It's like, okay, that happened. Now, let's give this guy a chance.
0: Your bullshit detector wasn't just going...
1: Well, yeah, but it, I shut it off. Ah, I see. <laughs> I shut it off very quickly. Yeah. In the interest of... Again, there used to be this thing where everybody generally supported the president, no matter which political side he was on.
0: Yeah, just get behind Granted, him.
1: this was something different. A president had never been voted in, Mm-mm. or cho- I say chosen, by this method yeah. through the courts like this before. By his cousin. So there was definitely something fishy there. I didn't like what I saw, but I turned that switch off and I was ready to move on and let's just support this guy. He's in. Let's just get this done. He didn't seem to be a bad person.
0: No, no. You see what I'm saying? And and again, this is
1: pre-Iraq-Afghanistan war, pre-weapons of mass destruction. Exactly. Exactly. Everything changed then. Yep. But see, then, I didn't want the guy removed. I didn't want there to be some sort of political upheaval in America. I wanted the guy to serve his first term finished and then get voted out.
0: Mm.
1: Whereas, the, and, and of course, as we know, he won his second term. Yeah, he did to but Trump's. I didn't want him removed. I just wanted him to lose the next election. Yeah. But now, with Donald Trump, I wanted, and I truly believe that there was enough legal and political ammunition on the table, it just needed to be loaded up and pointed in his direction, and he should have been removed. I'm talking about impeachment Yep. for the political side of things. Impeachment, he should have been impeached. He wasn't because the Republicans lack a set of cojones. Hmm. But I thought the table was set for that man to be removed. It what? was set for him to be removed.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I wanted that. That's the first time I've ever wanted that for a president to be removed in that way. Yeah. Removed before his term was up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I uh I But he
1: was I... good. Trump was good for America. I, I I equate his presidency to a good colonoscopy. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Not not a colonoscopy, an enema. A yeah. colon enema. It's very uncomfortable. Right, but you're if gonna, you sit through it, yeah, some, out. all the all the stuff that needs to be flushed out is going to come out. And yeah. I look at Trump's presidency as that. Like I say, Trump's period led to a new discussion in America. Mm. It led to the protests that we saw in the streets, where it wasn't just minorities in the streets; it was everybody in the streets. Yeah. So Trump was a good enema. It was uncomfortable. It kind of stinks when you're going through it, but the result. Is rather cleansing. And I'm not saying America is finished. America definitely has a long way to go. But that process, I believe, has started. There's been an awakening and a new awareness. And uh, there's some bad son of a guns on the left. And by bad, I mean good. There's some really savvy uh, messaging going on. They just need to amplify it because the right is extremely loud, very vocal very loud and it can give the impression that the right is bigger than it is if you look at clean numbers they have less than 30% of the voting mass in america yeah yeah that's not a lot of people
0: are you are you optimistic about the future of not just america but norway and you know are you optimistic about the future of humanity in general do you think that yes. like if you have a look at a global perspective of the world you know m- you know there's a You know, a theory of like a a clash of civilizations between, say, for example, you know, Europe, America, China, Islam. Do you think that on a larger time scale in the next 10, 20 years that there's going to be more global um, unity or do you think that there's going to be less?
1: I think there's going to be more global unity. I think most people, if we take climate change, for example, most people are on board with climate change and that we need to do something about it. Um, if you take uh, basic human rights, most people in the world are for that. Uh, And when you have that as a starting point, um, when most people care about people, that's a great starting point. Uh, Again, I believe that the naysayers, uh, I believe that the political right... Uh, on a world ba- worldwide basis, not just in America, but on a worldwide basis, the naysayers to climate change, the political right, uh, the people who are against immigration, they, they're good at messaging. They talk very loud. Uh, it may not be very clear, their message, but it is presented in a way that tricks people into thinking it's quite simple. Mm. Um, and they're very loud. They're very vocal. But... I can't believe them. I don't believe I don't believe that most people ascribe to anti climate change to anti immigration. Um, most people are good.
0: I, I think most people are good too. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think that, like, at the risk of sounding cheesy, one of the things that is going to <laughs> unite people is is love. And I, I totally agree. I yeah. think so. And I'm the result of uh, my father's Maori, my mother's. Uh, Australian you know white you're African American your children are mixed race yeah. i think you're starting to see people falling in love with people who are different from them genetically but yeah. they connect with them on a you know on a level that they find very attractive
1: those artificial walls that separate us uh, because of skin color or national origin and all that stuff it's being broken down and again some people in a certain subgroup of society will shout that down and say it's a bad thing, but most people are either indifferent or all for it.
0: Yeah, I'm.
1: People I'm, are the same. People. Most people are good.
0: Most people are good, man. And the thing is, like, I think when you have a look at um, keeping uh, genetic populations so unmixed, it's yeah. not healthy.
1: No, it's it's definitely not healthy and we can see that in um we see that across society. Um you you have s- somewhat segregated areas of Oslo. Mm. What's the benefit to that? We have somewhat segregated uh areas in in Drummond, where I live. What is the what what are the benefits of of it being that way? Are
0: they segregated economically?
1: Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh They are initially segregated because of their race or or national origin, which then through one way or another, I have many thoughts on how it happened, but through one way or another, it leads to an economic segregation where these people are marginally poorer, Mm. much worse off than the rest of Oslo or the rest of Drummond, which then leads to this cyclus of poverty, uh, crime, mental trauma societal uh, uh being outcast somewhat from society yeah and then it just goes around and around it becomes a generational thing back to what i was talking about the cities in america where you might be the third or fourth generation of poverty and that poverty started with what uh, uh segregation is where it started yeah it's... physical segregation in, in other words back uh, chicago for example you've heard of redlining where it was literally on a map of the city and the city planners would would cut off areas in red and say uh, either don't sell any homes, because we're talking about when a lot of black people were migrating from the south and into Chicago and other cities in the north and northeast because of job opportunities. So there's all these black people coming into Chicago and, and some racist white people said, what are we gonna do about this? So they would literally draw lines in red on maps of the city and say, Don't sell to black people or sell to black people so that they congregate here. This is going back to, you know, 19, you know, pre 1920. And then for years, decades, up into the 50s and 60s when this redlining was practiced. You can even say that it's to a certain extent practiced today. So when you have that and you're forcing these people into certain areas and keeping them out of others, that's where you get that generational poverty. Yeah Generational trauma And I believe that That is happening In spots All over the world It's happening here in Oslo It's happening in Drummond I don't know about Too much about other cities In Norway But But uh, yeah Even even Norway Has that problem Mm. So Open Open your mind, open your door, literally, <laughs> to people who look different and who have lived different than you. And you'll see that most people are good.
0: I think so. I think so. And, you know, where I am very fortunate, and I think you are too, mm. is um, when we're doing, say, for example, stand-up comedy, yeah. you get to meet a lot of people yes. from all different walks of life. Yeah. And that's where we first met. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends in the stand-up community in Oslo and in Norway that have different multicultural backgrounds. Yeah. And it just kind of becomes this natural melting point for people and you get to hear their ideas right? and you get to hear their perspective and they fucking entertain you at the same time, which I think is amazing.
1: It's a heck of a learning experience. Plus you get that entertainment on top of it. It is so good. So so people who cut that off, who cut that out of their life actively keep... Uh, that exposure to other cultures and, other, and different kinds of people and they cut that willingly out of their life, they're missing so much. so, so, much. so much to learn. There's so much to learn.
0: Dude, wh- when's your next comedy appearance? What's, what's happening with your comedy? What, 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 what are we what's doing? What's
1: happening with my comedy is this shoulder. Yeah. As you see, when I sit, every chance I get, I, I'm resting that arm because mm. the weight of my arm pulling on my shoulder cuff, is, it's just murder. Yeah. I'm actually starting to sweat a little now because I'm in so much pain. It's, ba- it's oh, bad. Oh shit! Yeah, and that's keeping me from getting on stage because it hurts so much I just to stand there. Yeah, for five, ten, fifteen minutes to do it to, to do my 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 act. Um, I wouldn't be able to focus.
0: And so you're in. Would a sling help, or is probably
1: not at this point? No, no. Uh, it, it's such a long story. Everything that they've been doing on the shoulder, but I've had what eight or nine operations se- since uh, 2016. So it's bad. Yeah. Now the last time I was on stage was the summer of 2020. Yeah. And I did well at that performance, but it was extremely uncomfortable. And since then I just haven't been able, I just haven't been able to get on stage. Yeah. Okay. I've wanted to, but uh, physically. I understand. But I'm still writing.
0: That's the main thing.
1: Um, I have tried out little bits of my routine on friends and family, just testing it out. Yep, and I'm getting laughs, so I know that when I come back on the mic, it's going to be good. It's going to be much better than it was before. I was having fun before, but when I get on the mic again, it's going to be even better.
0: Dude, well, I would love to see that. Yeah. I mean, I'm you know, it's one of those things. Like, I think we're very fortunate to be part of this performative culture. We are. That you it's get a great
1: group. It's of so people. good.
0: People are so supportive.
1: You Oslo comics are wild. <laughs> I remember the first time I came here, that was the first time I met you. Yeah. And I, I got there maybe almost two hours before uh, the lights went on and people started performing. And there was maybe seven or eight of you guys from Oslo who were sitting around just talking. <laughs> you guys just have a different swagger. You guys yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. different things. It's wild. Alcohol hits you Oslo people different. I mean, it was. I was like, oh my gosh, this... It was a whole new comedy world for mm. me. Mm-hmm. You know, being kind of isolated to Drammen in the little districts out, outside of Drammen. there. Uh, so when I come back, I definitely want to make a footprint in Oslo.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It's you, just a good bunch
0: of people. and It's a good vibe, man. And I think it's a more
1: mature audience, too. That's important. It's a very, I think so. M- uh, mature in that, in that they're used to comedy more. I find that people outside of Oslo, depending on the area... Who may not have seen that much stand-up comedy? They don't.
0: They don't really know what they to feel expect. a little
1: uncomfortable. You know, if you get a little raunchy mm. or you're touching on certain socio-political subjects,
0: mm. they
1: they don't know that there's supposed to be humor on those things. So I call it audience maturity. They're just not used to. And I don't want this to be be uh, taken as my negative view on audiences. It's just that some audience. Well, I can give you an example. Um, two or three years ago, they had a night a Culture Night in Drammen, yep. where they open up everything, and we were doing stand up, and it wasn't an advertised stand-up thing to the people that would normally come to stand-up. It's just Joe Blow with his wife and kids. Oh, I've never seen stand-up before. Let me go in there. And you could see the puzzlement on their faces. They're like, Is that, why are they talking about this? Mm. Is that supposed to be funny? Yeah, it's funny, but should I laugh? You know, so it's all of that. And I don't think you get so much of that in Oslo. They're used to stand-up comedy here.
0: I think so. I think you get, a, like, you, like, that's a good way of putting it. You get mature audiences, yeah. but you still get a lot of people... In the audience, and it's their first time seeing comedy well, sure. in Oslo or in Norway, or they've been to see people like Dave Chappelle, but right. they haven't seen any local comics.
1: And that's what is so beautiful about the comedy scene in Norway in general is that stand up is relatively new. It's pretty new compared to what we have in the States. Yeah. Oh, so, Alpha de- sure. So you have those hardcore fans who are all, you know, every chance they get, they go watch stand up. But yeah, you do have that, that handful of people who. Yeah, they just don't know too they only know what they've seen on T V, Netflix. Mm.
0: And you know, one of the best kind of compliments that you can get doing comedy, I've got this a couple of times, is people after the show, they've seen me, they've seen, you know, five, six, seven uh, other great comics yeah. and they go, We didn't know that a show in Oslo with Norwegian based comedians could be so good. Yeah. Like, wow, yeah. think that was yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. And I've done some shows where it's just like it's just been like electric you yeah. know what I mean like just the perfect night perfect yeah. audience the perfect vibe and then everything just ends on a high note and it's just been good times and everybody leaves real happy
1: there's really something to be said about that feeling when everything just clicks everything just falls into place I've had two shows where um, where it just it, it went perfect it couldn't have went better I opened uh, for Bob Eknamadi he had a one-hour uh, special a one-hour show and I opened for him, did about 20, 25 minutes, and it was perfect. I mean, it just, ah, you, 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 almost, you almost feel like it's falling on you. Like, oh my gosh, I wasn't supposed to say that, but I did, and it worked. Yeah. Uh, so so when, it, when it falls in a place like that, it's incredibly inspiring. It feeds my creative soul. But having said that, when it goes bad, that also feeds my creative soul mm-hmm. because then you can go in and study it. You know, I, I record everything I say when I'm when I'm doing stand up and I love going back. OK, I, I, I felt like shit after this show. Let me go back and listen and figure out why. And it's that analyzation, that that reflection where you can kind of, you know, pick up the pieces and rebuild your act. I love that process. It's very
0: technical. It is. Yeah. Because you can understand that oh the reason I went wrong was because I started with this and I should have zigged when I zapped you know you can piece it up together. Do you record? Yeah, I, every set.
1: You ever you ever walk off the stage and you feel like it went horrible, but then you go listen to it and you're like oh my gosh people were laughing all the time. Yeah,
0: all the time. What is that
1: all about? That's that fucking, happens to me
0: too. It's weird. That's just, I
1: feel horrible sometimes, but I go back and listen. I'm like wait.
0: Me too. Sometimes I wait days sometimes i wait too long yeah and then i go yeah. oh and i have yeah. that icky feeling so now i actually try to listen to it on my way back home that's, I, I, that's my move.
1: I, I miss doing stand-up i i really do my my performance life my social life has really really been reeled in mm-hmm. because of this arm i yeah. just can't do too much i just can't no. it's a constant state of pain but uh
0: but you must be very happy that you've got your podcast then
1: well, that's what has kept me going Right You know, I started that podcast after I lost my son He was, his loss, my loss uh, The loss of my son, rather, was the See, Joe Biden If Joe Biden fumbled like that he, you know, What's wrong with Joe? What's right. wrong with John there? He's got right. cognitive issues He can't lead a country <laughs> <laughs> No, the, when I lost my son That's the motivation for me starting my podcast And it got me through that period And then COVID hit pretty much right when I started my podcast mm. I had another operation fairly early in my podcasting process. So that combination of being somewhat immobile because of the operation and being isolated because of Corona, uh, my podcast really saved my life. And it turns out that I just love podcasting.
0: Good. Yeah.
1: You know, I don't need it to save my life now. (laughs) I'm fine. But I still do it because I sincerely love it. This right here. These conversations that I have with people, mm-hmm. it's incredibly giving. I learn something from every conversation I have on my podcast.
0: And what's the name of your podcast?
1: It's called the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. All of that. It's got a long name because I, I found I was searching for a name and I wanted it to be called. I wanted it to be called Coming Home, but there's another podcast out there called Coming Home or Coming with a G. Mm. If you notice, mine is C O M I N apostrophe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm like, I can't. I need a different name, so I'll just put my name in it. And I'll put the whole thing in. The coming C-O-M-I-N, Home Podcast with John Allen. If people search that uh, up on YouTube, Spotify, any podcast platform, um, I'm there.
0: Yeah, you're going to pop up.
1: I went over to video format in January of this year. Good. Before that, it was just audio. Yep. Uh, so now you can see my lovely... Uh, face in all of its ragged glory.
0: Say you're big <laughs> shiny meathead.
1: It's uh, it's uh yeah some people like that. I don't know. Yeah, Soupy yeah. likes it. She's still Dude, here. I love it. It's so, uh, I, I just love podcasts. It gives me so much. I learn something every time I'm on. Uh and my podcast has opened a lot of doors. The T V appearances that I've had, it's because of my podcast. Yeah. I've had an episode or I've said something that the media got a hold of, and I would get my invite to TV2 or NRK. Mm. Uh, and that is quite the surreal experience to be sitting. I'll never forget the first time I went into TV2, and I'm in the green room, and I see a couple of these television personalities. The weather ladies. Mm-hmm. Isabella, for example. I saw her. Yeah, I've had a crush on Isabella since 2002. saw it. And now I see her, and per- she's right there. <laughs> it's just, you know, so my podcast has really opened a lot of doors. The latest door, can I make an announcement? Please. Uh, you're going to hear it here for the first time Bam. on this podcast. Um, I got a radio gig now. That's awesome. Um, What's the gig? Well, <clears throat> the radio gig is going to be called Coming Home with John Allen. It's going to be a two-part thing. It's going to be on for two hours on Saturday afternoons. If you look at um, uh, Radio Fresh 24, Radio Fresh Shufira, uh, it's an FM radio station. Um, It covers all of Viken, parts of Oslo, uh, parts of Eslanda, and parts of Vestfold. So at any given time, there's close to 270,000 potential listeners. Oh, damn. But that's not to speak of what we have online. There's an online audience, which at any given time can be up to over over half a million mm. listeners. So it's a two-part show. Part of it will be conversation. I'll have a guest. It's kind of an extension of my podcast. I'll have a guest. We'll talk about relevant topics. But it's going to be, whereas my podcast is more of an international thing, you know, I can talk about issues anywhere and with anybody, my radio show will be based more on all things Norway. Gotcha. Maybe some comparisons between the situations in Norway compared with the situations in America. Mm-hmm. So that'll be the first hour. Uh... The second hour is going to be a lot of fun because it's going to be more of a traditional American radio program. If you can close your eyes and imagine radio programs from the 70s and 80s in urban areas, black DJs, black music. Oh, you're going to play music? I'm going to play music oh, and talk shit. in between. Wow, that's that's perfect. It's going to be so much fun. I love music. Music is a part of my very spirit. Yes, um, this is a dream come true to be able to have a music program on an authentic radio station.
0: And you can play whatever whatever songs you want.
1: I can do the the the, the boss over there has given me full artistic freedom for my two hour show. I can do whatever the heck I want.
0: That's perfect. That's a, that's a, such a good move.
1: You can't ask for anything better. Um, if you're a, a creator of any type, uh, to be given a platform with a million or so potential listeners and then be told you can do whatever you want.
0: Yeah, that's a such a great position to be in.
1: So I can give you the where, how people find me on the radio dial. I'll, I can give that to you and you, when yeah, you post this episode, people sure. can see it, but I want people to check me out. And
0: uh, Yeah, def- definitely, definitely do that. Sa-
1: Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday is my first broadcast. Oh, nice. Saturday at 1600 Norway time.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, All right, I'll get this episode out before yeah, then, 100%. Yeah. John, wow, congratulations so much on the radio show, brother.
1: Do your ears hurt?
0: Dude, my ears are basically (laughs) just having fucking, like they're just, uh, they're they're having orgasms, man. I I love hearing, I love talking to you.
1: You know, I like talking to you. I really enjoy it. I I love you to death. I, I, you, you really, your personality really hit me when I saw you perform that first night at uh, Steinar's show and uh, that we've become friends. You've been a couple of times on my podcast since then. Uh, uh, I call you brother. I've said it before. I call you brother. And when are you going to teach me a haka? Oh yeah, we got it. I gotta Dude. get this arm in shape. Yeah, yeah, in. yeah.
0: Get it. Honestly, get it in shape. Because
1: Look at me. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. That is so doggone motivating.
0: Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Um, I can teach you, Haka. Whenever you're ready. i not gonna piss ready.
1: anybody off. It's not like a cultural uh, appropriation type of thing, is it? No. If you teach me. No, this. no,
0: no. The thing. Uh, the thing with the Maori culture is that we're such a small culture that getting our traditions out there is a gotcha. really positive thing gotcha. and it's it's not like you were doing it like in a weird way making fun of it or anything like that it's a you know it's like a. am talking
1: total respect a, a i see cause. what that i see what that tradition can do for me mm. and if i can do anything to help highlight it man i'm in
0: yeah definitely man you know you just reminded me there is a a maori guy living in denmark who mm. is somehow related to me everybody in new zealand kind of is in a, in mm. a way and he Teaches haka and a lot of Maori culture to business people in Ah, in Scandinavia. I
1: see how that could help someone in the business world.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think what he does is he helps people compose their own hakas. I think that's what he does. I mean, I
1: could actually create my own?
0: Yeah, for sure. I I
1: thought it was like set in stone.
0: There's many... There's many Huckers that are set in stone. Okay. But there are many different tribes that have their own Huckers. I see. And I think you could look at it like as writing your own mantra. I see. Or your own, what is important to you through a series of uh, words and movements. Well,
1: I'm in, man.
0: You're right? I'm in. Dude.
1: You teach me how to do this, man. I will definitely apply it to my life.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I'll teach you for sure. But what I'm thinking I might try to do. I might try to get this guy up to Norway or when he comes up to Norway next time. Give a
1: class? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Have him as a guest on the podcast. And then, because i got a bunch of friends that would really be interested in learning the haka. I bet. And I think he's more qualified than I am to teach it because he does this all the time. I can for sure teach you if this doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. But if I could get him up, because I really want to explore more of the Maori culture, and there's not that many Maoris in Scandinavia, I'd love to have him out on as a guest. And then afterwards, if it's possible, I'd love to get him to do a haka workshop with you and with many of my jiu-jitsu friends and with other people who have also expressed interest in learning the haka. I think that would be a fucking powerful uh-huh. thing to do. I'm gonna reach out to him. I'll, I think
1: you'd I'll, get a great response. I think, I think so you'd too. Get people flocking to a class like that.
0: I, I think so, and I know that like one of the things about what the haka inspires in people is chills. Like you just oh, get this absolutely. like man. And I've done I've I've done hundreds of haka's in my life. You yeah. know, when I went to boarding school in New Zealand, we did them every fucking day. We did them yeah. all the time, and we did yeah. a lot of cultural uh, singing and dancing and. We did them before we played sports and I'd never felt more fired up. Like I it never just felt like, let's
1: go. It opens something up so that you have access to that adrenaline. I feel it just when I'm watching it. I couldn't imagine how it is to actually Dude, do
0: it. Let me, let me paint you a picture. This was go the, ahead. this was the last time I did a Hucka. It was Je- December 31st. So New Year's Eve going into the year 2020. Mm-hmm. So just before the world shut down, I'm in New Zealand, on a family reunion with all of my Maori family. A lot of my Maori family. We were there for like 10 days, visiting the birthplace of my father, visiting the, yeah. the the land of my ancestors, like this valley where the Maoris used to live up until like the early 1900s. You know, yeah. like fucking like traditional shit, man. Yeah. And uh, New Year's Eve, the, uh, the men from my tribe that were there, we lined up out the front of the marae like our holy sacred yeah. meeting place and then as the clock struck midnight into the new year ah, we performed the haka yeah. and we were just howling at the moon just screaming what a and it, start for the new it year it was beautiful and there was three generations of us so it was my father's generation my generation and the younger generation and i felt i felt Really Maori. And Look, I felt man, so, so powerful. I get,
1: I get chills just thinking about it. I get chills when I watch them mm. on, on, on uh, YouTube or social media. So again, doing it mm-hmm. must be that elevating, that spiritual thing. It must be.
0: It is. It's it's amazing. Uh, it's next level. And I think. What, I need to
1: get in on that, man. To get in on it. I'm going to make it happen. I'm
0: going to contact this guy. We're going to do it.
1: And you're a bad motherfucker, man. You, you John j- Allen. Jiu-jitsu. Uh-huh. Film and TV. Uh-huh. Now podcasting. Uh-huh. Stand-up comedy. Halka, stand-up comedy. What else? Do What's I, missing here?
0: No, I do a bit of yoga and some CrossFit and you know strength training. I don't know whether you noticed I put the barbell up there for you, brother. Maybe it's hard oh, to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that an Aleiko bar? Uh, yeah, I think so. Probably, like oh, yeah.
0: it might be. But I wanted to have a little bit of uh, weightlifting in there for these
1: lights killer, fire. man. It's ju- yeah. <laughs> it's you don't have a big puddle of melted chocolate here. <laughs> no, <laughs> man. You, you're 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 uh, you're a little bit thicker, uh, muscular, more muscular than you were last time I saw you. So you must be doing. Is, is it just rolling with jujitsu that's putting? No,
0: it's, a, it's it's a, it's it's it's. I've been like lifting a lot of weights lately okay. as well. It shows, man. You look good, dude. I'm getting thick, son. I'm getting you John Allen thick.
1: Hey, hold on now.
0: Oh, hold only, on. There's
1: only room. <laughs> on that on that uh, platform there's first second and third place yeah, okay dude. i know where i'm gonna be yeah, so. yeah.
0: I'm, I'm gonna be like somewhere <laughs> down like place number 10 or something do, do you
1: do a lot of strength training or is it more for endurance strength lifting weights mostly it's, strength it's, it's, so you're, you're heavier weights and mm-hmm. yeah. lower like
0: yeah. i'm trying to do like maybe between four to five reps per set
1: can't go wrong with that
0: I don't, right and huh? i'm like i always have one or two left in the tank
1: and you probably it, get enough cardio just from rolling with jujitsu, right?
0: I do. I get, yeah. I do thirty minutes of basic cardio every jujitsu session, yeah. which is you know three or four times a week. But I'm actually I'm trying to improve my cardio, so I'm back at CrossFit, yeah. And I'm trying to do like uh, you know like int, uh, interval training and yeah. shit like that because You're I, a
1: bad son of a gun. I, man, I, 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 I
0: try, man. I really want to, you know, like I really like using cardio as a weapon. Yes, you oh, know, absolutely. I can see that. Yeah, I can see the benefits of that. It absolutely. Is. And, uh, and at the moment, a lot of people have that weapon against me, yeah. and it's my own breath that defeats me. And when you can like just go against somebody and you can see that their gas tank just hits the E you're going to just go even harder. And the thing that beat you was your cardio.
1: Well, isn't that the beauty of athletics, whether it's jujitsu, CrossFit or powerlifting in my case? Again, back to this continuous evaluation thing. You know what your strengths are. You can build on them. You know what your weaknesses are. You can build on that. You can change your presence as an athlete within your sport.
0: Yeah, you have isn't to. Isn't that beautiful? You it's got about to evolve with it. Man. It's yeah, about for sure. John Allen, I'm going to wrap this up because I could fucking talk to you until the end of time. I, I would never stop talking to you. But I love it, man. I just want to say thank you so much for being the first Pleasure. ever guest on the podcast.
1: Pleasure, I love you to death, man. I wish you tons <laughs> of luck on this podcast.
0: Thanks a lot, Thanks brother. For having I love me you as your too, guest, dude. No thank problem. You welcome back anytime. Big love kiss. You. Love you, man. Love you too, brother. Thank you. Thanks.